0: Hey all Andy Patton here, joined today by former host Stephen Carr. Stephen and I are going to talk about what's been going on with the Zags these past few weeks and what to expect going forward right here on Locked On Zags. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Lockdown Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, ready to take you through another season of Gonzaga hoops. The holidays are just around the corner and finding the perfect gift is tricky. Omaha Steaks makes it easy to send friends and family an unforgettable gift guaranteed to be loved. Go to omahasteaks.com and enter college into the search bar to order the perfect gift package. All right, as you guys can probably tell, I'm still getting my voice back after the Alabama game. But fortunately, I don't have to talk the entire time because I'm joined today by former host of the Locked On Zags podcast and current Gonzaga employee, Stephen Carr. Stephen, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to join.
1: You got it, Andy. How are you?
0: Ah, you know, I'm good. I'm good. I did have a fun weekend going to the game. Unfortunately, the result was not what we wanted for the third third game in a row that's been a little rough to watch for the Zags, but uh, other than that, I'm doing good. How about you?
2: <laughs> uh, I'm busy, but I'm hanging in there. Mm-hmm. Like you, I was, uh, you know, not the ideal result uh, on Saturday. I was going to travel over. I thought about traveling over there, mm-hmm. um, decided not to watch the game from my couch, but there was, <laughs> the end result would not have changed whether I was there or not.
1: No, but, I uh, don't think so. It looked like the
2: atmosphere there was was very, very good. Um, and it's, it's cool that they got to play a game in that new arena.
0: Yeah, no, Climate Pledge was awesome. That was the. That was the highlight of the game, was was seeing the new arena. But, uh, yeah, I think the the biggest thing, Stephen, I, I wrote some questions down, but uh, the main question I have is, like, what the hell's going on? <laughs>
2: <laughs> um,
0: turnovers.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and I know a lot of
2: – I think a lot of people um, – well, let's just say this: the turnover issue was definitely the problem in the Duke and Tarleton State game. I think mm-hmm. we all know that, right? Mm-hmm. Especially down the stretch in the Duke game. Um, the issue with the Alabama game was obviously they they left Shackelford a little too open mm-hmm. multiple times, and you know Adam Morrison mentioned um, post game radio that you know in shoot around Gonzaga was harping on like, look. Alabama shoots a ton of threes Mm -hmm. you guys got to run them off the line Mm -hmm. they didn't happen to do that so it's not like it was like a a foreign concept to them like everybody knows what Alabama does so Mm -hmm. the fact some people were saying like oh how can they not know this like they did they just Mm -hmm. they probably didn't execute the game plan as well as they would
1: have liked obviously
0: that's you know that go go ahead I was gonna say that was my my takeaway after the game is like why why did they seem unprepared like Alabama doesn't hide who they are offensively. Like I thought, and, and and maybe there was some some tricky stuff that Nate Oates and the squad and the staff did that we didn't see. But it seemed to me like they should have been prepared for Alabama to bomb a bunch of threes. And yet, particularly in the last ten minutes of the first half, uh, Alabama just got whatever shot that they wanted on the perimeter. And that that to me, like we can talk about the Duke and Tarleton State and Alabama game, and everybody wants to lump them together but in some ways the struggles they had against Alabama were, were much different and you could try to spin that positively, but also it's a little frightening that they had other issues crop up in this game that we haven't seen before that led to a loss.
2: Yeah. I mean, Alabama, i rewatched the game um, Mm -hmm. on Sunday night. Alabama runs a lot of really, really good stuff.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, They run a lot of, Ghost action, a lot of pick and pops,
2: um, just a lot of different stuff, flare screens, a lot of stuff to get Shackleford into space.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's got a really, really quick trigger. So some of that is just Alabama's team is really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other part of that is a lot of what they do is based on dribble
2: penetration mm-hmm. and stopping dribble penetration obviously helps because you don't have to get out to shooters.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: if you can't stop dribble penetration, and you have to help inside. The mm-hmm. closeouts to shooters, obviously, is a lot longer way to go.
1: Gonzaga
2: mm-hmm. did do a great job stopping dribble penetration, um, and so the, the problem defensively was kind of twofold in that respect. My bigger issue, I thought, in the Alabama game and, mm-hmm. and the Tarleton State game, to be honest, um, I thought I was more concerned about the offensive end
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, than the defensive end, because I think this team has uh, some pretty good defensive players. I think didn't play great defensively against uh, uh, Alabama mm-hmm. but I think uh, that overall long term I like the defensive outlook of this team especially with Chet inside. side
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, but offensively I don't know what their identity is quite yet and mm-hmm. I don't know if they know and Mark Few said before the season he warned everybody you know it's like this is not last year's team that mm-hmm. team was the exception to every rule they were yeah. unbelievable from day one they had a bunch of senior, well, not necessarily senior leaders, but guys who have been in the program, you mm-hmm. know, three and four or five years. Um, and the stud freshman was unlike anybody they've ever had before. Mm-hmm. This year's team is not experienced playing with each other. Yep. And the style of play that they have offensively is completely different than last mm-hmm. year's team. Last year was four out all the time. Mm-hmm. This year's team is back to playing two bigs consistently Mm -hmm. so it the 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 spacing in general with what they do is different than last year's team so they're still trying to figure out exactly what they want to do what actions are most effective with this group um and it's going to be a process you know they looked incredible against texas but i think part you know part of that is because texas's defensive game plan against timmy was frankly terrible
1: really bad
0: Um, (laughs) yeah
2: and then the UCLA game, um, you know, I thought they were they were great. It's probably the best they looked all season, and mm-hmm. it's not a coincidence that it was because Andrew Nemhard was hunting his own yep. shot and mm-hmm. playing very very aggressive. And that's what they need is perimeter players mm-hmm. to be more aggressive and hunt their own shots. They had that, you know, Jalen Suggs can get a bucket whenever he wanted last year. Andrew mm-hmm. Nemhard was a lot more aggressive last season um, than we've seen so far this year, outside of the UCLA game. Corey Kispert was strong enough where he could rip and drive kind Mm -hmm. of whenever he wanted. This year's perimeter is still trying to get there. Mm -hmm. Um, I think they will by the end of the season. But um, just uh, as a general thought, the perimeter players, when they're in whatever action that they're in, have to become a little bit more aggressive offensively and hunt their own stuff rather than rely on Timmy and Chet inside.
0: Well, this is what was so frustrating. I I think you hit so many of the points that – you know, I agree with and had down in my notes here, but uh, I think a the UCLA and Texas games may have been slightly red herrings for how uh, prepared this team is offensively, which is you kind of touched on a little bit there. But I also think like what was so frustrating in the Alabama game for me was. The, the, they were, they ran a lot of pick-and-rolls, and we've been kind of touting Andrew Nempard as this pick-and-roll master for a long time, and he, he has been throughout most of his career, but it looked like in this game, as soon as they came off of that action, there was no intention for Nempard to attempt to score. And so, like, a pick-and-roll is only effective if the person coming off the screen is going to make a decision, whether they're going to drive to the basket, step back and take a shot, or pass the ball to the roller— And in this situation, it seemed like every single time there was no intention to do anything other than get Drew Timmy the ball. And so the defense can adjust to that significantly easier. And Drew, he mentioned after the game, he felt like he was forcing a lot of shots. And I understand why he said that and why he felt like that. But in my mind, if everybody on the court, their sole goal is to get Drew Timmy the basketball, what what else is he going to do? You know, he feels kind of like he has to do that. And so that was a frustrating aspect for me as it felt like they weren't running the pick-and-roll action in a way that actually made the defense have to do anything. It felt like the defense could kind of just wait until Drew Timmy got the ball and then foul him, and then Gonzaga was mostly only getting one or two from the line, and that's just that's just not an efficient offense.
2: Yeah, I mean, this this roster is um, fairly similar, I think, to the 2020 squad, mm-hmm. and Timmy is basically playing the Petrusha role because, sure.
1: I mean, they ran –
2: everything through him mm-hmm. and it was kind of that same thing where you know a ball scream could happen but in the end what they're looking for is to get the ball inside to petrusia and then kind of play off of
1: that mm-hmm. um chen
2: holmgren more or less is in that kind of killian tilly role yeah so um it, it's interesting it mm-hmm. really is that, it, they're they're going to be a work in progress on the offensive end all season long and i think the thing that you saw with that 2020 group
1: mm-hmm.
2: at the end of the season um the last month or so they started to go to four guards much more often Mm -hmm. and obviously last year that's pretty much all they did was play four out Mm -hmm. with one big guy we haven't seen that this year outside of the last four or five minutes of the tarleton state game Mm -hmm. i i think that's something that we're probably going to see more going forward Mm -hmm. um the issue with that is you know who sits between right. Timmy, Chet, and Watson? Yeah, because one, of, two of two of those guys are going to have to be sitting on the bench at all times. So I don't think it's something that you're going to see a ton of. Mm-hmm. Like you're not going to see four guards on the on the court 22 minutes a night.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but if you see it for a four minute stretch in the first half and a four minute stretch in the second half, maybe it, it's, it's it's a look the defenses haven't seen so far yet this season.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and it's something that I think they can at least experiment with. Uh, here in the coming
0: weeks, I think there are some really excellent lineups that they can run that way, and I and I, I wonder if part of that hesitation has been kind of waiting to see which of the two freshman guards is going to establish themselves as somebody who can who can genuinely earn minutes over a Watson, Timmy, or Holmgren, because n- neither of those two guys at first really proved that they should be playing over those guys. But now at this point, with the way Nolan Hickman has looked the last few uh, few games in particular, he looked great against Alabama. I think lineups of Nemhard, Hickman, Bolton, Strother, and, I mean, any of the bigs, really, just pick one of them, uh, can, can really— it could be really effective. But yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. You can't run that lineup for 25 minutes a night because those three guys need to play. And so it's it's kind of a it's it's a challenge of roster construction that, you know, at the beginning of the season, you'd be hard pressed to imagine them trying to play those guys less. But they're they're seeming to really struggle to figure out what their identity is on offense when they have two bigs in the game.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's (laughs) we're complaining about an offense that you know, is still putting up over one point per possession. So it's not like this mm-hmm. is like you right. know, shooting above fifty percent effective field goal percentage. It mm-hmm. it's not like the offense is bad by any stretch. It's not. It's just not as efficient as we've seen, mm-hmm. uh, especially last year. I mean, last year spoiled every single yep. one of us yep. and really put the most unrealistic expectations possible on pretty much every Gonzaga team going <laughs>
1: forward.
2: Um, which is unfortunate for a lot of these teams because like, not every season is supposed to be as memorable and as incredible right. as that one was. So
1: Absolutely. there's
2: going to be some lumps. Obviously, they're taking them right now, but mm-hmm. they've got a coaching staff that's been around forever um, and have a, has a ton of experience. They've been through this kind of thing before where they, mm-hmm. they kind of experiment when they need to, and by the end of the season, um, they'll have these guys in a spot where everybody knows what they're doing. Everybody knows what the role is. Everybody knows what the most effective actions are mm-hmm. uh, within their offense. Uh, I, I think going into this year, if if you told everybody mm-hmm. that they would go two and two in the UCLA, Duke, Alabama, and Texas games, I think most people would have said, "Yeah, I could probably see that happening." Sure. It's just the the way that it happened, mm-hmm. just blowing the doors off the first two teams, yep. and then struggling to close out Duke, and then struggling against Alabama. Mm-hmm. Uh, like all of a sudden, the expectations are like they went from you know national championship favorite to they might struggle to even make the final four it's like well you can't just go from one to the other within you right. know a 45 minute span of playing time so absolutely um, th- they're, they're gonna grow they are gonna grow and i think by the end of the season they'll be just fine
0: well you mentioned the coaching staff and that's absolutely what i want to get into a little bit more in the second segment before we get there though let's talk about today's sponsor boost mobile you listen to podcasts for the power of the inside track you switch to Boost Mobile for the power of saving money, because with Boost, you get the power of a free 5G phone so you can listen to the latest episodes and keep up with your favorite players and teams. The power of three unlimited data lines for 30 bucks a month per line, so your family can share all the insights. And the power of one of America's largest 5G networks, so you can do it all at the speed of 5G. With all that money you'll save and all that edge you'll gain, just how powerful will you become? Switch to Boost Mobile and find out. Get a free Samsung Galaxy A32 5G when you switch to one of America's largest 5G networks. More power to save. The free phone is limited to new customers and one per line. Additional restrictions apply. Offers and coverage not available everywhere or for all plans and networks. See boostmobile.com for details. Today's episode is also brought to you by PrizePix. PrizePix is daily fantasy made easy. I love this app and I know that you will too. PrizePix is a leader in college sports daily fantasy. They offer more college football props than anyone in the world and offer all the star players from not only the Power 5 schools, but your favorite mid-major programs as well. New users that deposit and use the promo code locked On will receive a 100% instant deposit match of up to $100. PricePix allows mixed sport entries, so you can take the over-on Chet Holmgren combined with the under-on Patrick Mahomes in the same entry. Use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. Don't hesitate check out pricepicks.com and use promo code LOCKEDON or go to your app store and download the app today. Pricepicks is daily fantasy made easy. All right, welcome back. Still Andy Patton, still locked on Zag, still talking with Stephen Carr, the former host of this show, and now an employee at Gonzaga, who is taking the time out of his day to talk about what is going on with this team. First segment, we talked a lot about some of the offensive and defensive struggles in the team that is still trying to find its identity. Here, I kind of want to start focusing a little bit more on the staff itself. I know I got a lot of questions About the coaches for Mailbag Monday, uh, kind of some concern about the lack of adjustments we've seen offensively. We kind of touched a little bit on it, Stephen, in the first segment, just with with the team still trying to find their identity. But I'm curious uh, in particular about some of the substitution patterns that we saw against Alabama. I noticed in the first five minutes, instead of going to Anton Watson first, which has I think been the case every single game. They went to Salas and Hickman right away, then went to Watson. It kind of set the tone for what ended up being a very bizarrely, uh, bizarre game in terms of substitutions that ended with Chet Holmgren sitting for the last six minutes in a game where he had one foul, which was a little bit baffling. I'm curious if now that you've rewatched the game, I'm curious if you saw anything or, or had any notes on per- perhaps why that happened.
2: Um. I would imagine it's because they preferred Anton Watson and the way that he was playing down the stretch Mm -hmm. um, because he actually he probably had his best offensive game
1: Mm -hmm. of the season Mm -hmm. uh, outside of the the one turnover in transition, which was uh, Mm -hmm. kind of a killer
2: at the time. But he made up for it the very next possession by getting an offensive rebound and a putback. So. Mm -hmm. Um, it's possible that they just they, they liked what they saw out of Anton Watson more at the time. Mm-hmm. Chet Holmgren really really struggled to shoot the basketball in this game yeah. on the offensive end. Um and it wasn't just, you know, his three point I mean his three point shots were obviously all of them were pretty much off like really mm-hmm. badly, but his free throw shooting was was kind of funky too and that that's very unlike him throughout mm-hmm. the first 6 or 7 games, he would have been a really really good free throw shooter. Mm-hmm. Um so <laughs> the whole team basically all took the night off from the line. It was very strange. Yeah. Um, But I I, I don't know if I would read that much into, hey, Chet sat the final five or six minutes. Mm -hmm. I think at the time, Anton Watson was just playing better. Yeah. And that's just what the coaching staff wanted. Mm -hmm. Um, But in terms of uh, the rest of the rotation, I thought, you know, Nolan Hickman kind of brought them back into the game Mm -hmm. and he earned himself more minutes not just in that game, because I'm pretty sure he was on the court for, like, the final 10 minutes of
1: the game. Yeah, he Like, was. they
2: used him as their closer, more or less, which is awesome to see for mm-hmm. him. Um, but I think that they, they, they're going to use him more and more, especially if he becomes that perimeter player mm-hmm. that, you know, hunts his own shot and is aggressive and it, it becomes a super reliable perimeter score. Mm-hmm. Like, they're not going to have any choice but to play him more bidding. And uh, I, I keep... Uh, 2028 Admont Builder started the season mm-hmm. as the starter and joel yai came off the bench eventually joel yai was doing so much that they just inserted him into the starting lineup it took a minor injury to get in there but once he was in the lineup like he started the rest of the way mm-hmm. i could possibly see that happening with nolan hickman where he supplants you know, Bolton or something like that mm-hmm. halfway through the season, and Bolton becomes that sixth man energizer guy like Gilder was. It was a perfect mm-hmm. role for him at the time. Um, and I would not be shocked if something like that happens. Or I, I can't imagine they would start four guards and bring Chet off the bench,
1: mm-hmm. but I think
2: that could be some sort of a possibility as well. Like I said, there's going to be so much experimentation. Mm-hmm. I think um, maybe not so much with the UW game just because they play a funky zone, but like, after Texas Tech, when they get, I think, like four or five fairly easy games in a row, it's like mm-hmm. NAU, North Alabama's in there, and I think they get two bottom WCC teams to start the conference yep. season, too. So I think that four-game stretch, you might see some uh, a lot of experimentation with, with lineups, with rotations, and offensive actions as well.
0: I'm super excited about uh, seeing, seeing some of that potential. I um, The Hickman thing, it, it, he's— his ability to play so calm, especially as a true freshman. Like you can see a lot of like Andrew Nembhard in his kind of style and his, you know, he's got a calming presence, but he is also a killer and he will go to the rim. He will take three point shots that uh, aggressive shots. He hit back to back threes in this game against Alabama. And that is, I mean, Gonzaga hasn't really, nobody else has proven they're willing to do that uh, amongst the guard group. You know, Julian Strother obviously a bucket, but he doesn't. Handle the ball and play that kind of facilitator role in that way. Um, Bolton, I think, can do it, but hasn't been super consistent about that necessarily, um, and is is not as consistent of an outside shooter. Although he's been solid this year, um, but Hickman, I think, it's been fantastic to see what he does, and I really do hope that uh, he ends up getting a bigger role. It, it seems it seems like he has already earned it. Like as, I mean, and, and Mark Few was willing to go to him significantly in that Alabama game. And I think that's huge. Um, but then there's the other freshman. There's Hunter Salas, and I think it's it's pretty clear that Salas hasn't earned the playing time that Hickman has yet, and that's more about how good Hickman has been and less about Salas himself. But we have seen him make a few more freshman mistakes. He had some, some fouls at really inopportune times in this Alabama game, but then he also had that ridiculous offensive rebound putback, so he can clearly contribute in significant ways. I'm curious kind of what you think – his development looks like this season and the role he could potentially play kind of as the year goes on.
2: Yeah. He's definitely the clear eighth man mm-hmm. of the eight man rotation. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, they're essentially using him as the energizer bunny defensive um, specialist and who basically cuts and rebounds on the
1: offensive end. Very mm-hmm. kind of first year Joella Yagi yep. kind of thing. Yep. Um, and he, He's probably more raw than Nolan Hickman is. Mm-hmm.
2: He's not a great shooter yet, but he's, by all accounts, he's getting a lot better at it. Um, he's just not as polished in terms of, um, you know, full on basketball skills within the system as Nolan Hickman is. Mm. But he's getting there, and he is an unbelievable athlete, and he might honestly be the best perimeter defender already on the team. Mm-hmm. So he obviously has a role, and the coaching staff trusts him enough to play eight minutes a night in these big games already. He played mm-hmm. 10 or 12 against Alabama. Um, I don't think he played much against Duke,
1: mm-hmm.
2: but you know, the more he plays, the more uh, opportunity he gets, the more trust he gets from the coaching staff. Mm-hmm. I'm super excited for his development probably more than anybody else mm-hmm. on this roster because I think his ceiling can be so high. Yep, um, he's, he's electric in transition just because of his speed and his quickness. Um, his explosiveness in the half court, once he uh, you know gets more opportunity to kind of drive and create for himself I think he's going to be a really really good slasher down the road as well uh, it's just he's playing behind Julian Strather, who's I think might, he might even be their leading scorer or he's his second leading scorer Timmy's the leading scorer mm-hmm. at this point um, but Strother is playing 30 minutes a night and then Regier Bolton who's a fourth year player so it's kind of hard to get a ton of minutes behind those guys mm-hmm. um, but, but next season you know this is kind of the um, his first year as a freshman is a is time to grow, get minutes, capitalize on the opportunities that you get, and then as a uh, as a sophomore next year, I think he's going to explode and become a very very good player and be on the draft boards at the end of that year.
0: Absolutely. Well, speaking of next season or at least going forward this season, that's kind of what I want to talk about a little bit more in the third segment. Of course, the Zags have a big game against Texas Tech, and then some big games in the WCC. We got to talk about what some adjustments that may or may not need to be made in order for Gonzaga to win those games. Before we get there, though, let's talk about Omaha Steaks. The holidays are around the corner, and finding the perfect gift is tricky. Omaha Steaks makes it easy to send friends and family an unforgettable gift guaranteed to be loved. I've had relatives send me Omaha Steaks for a few years now, and it was a great way to keep the freezer stocked with quality meat over the next couple of months. I know you all have relatives who want to help you out this holiday season, and Omaha Steaks is without a doubt the way to go. Go to omahasteaks.com and enter college into the search bar to op- to order the perfect gift package. For $99.99, you'll get 24 entrees like the world-famous bacon-wrapped filet mignons, chicken breast sides, desserts, and so much more. When you use the code college, you'll also get an additional eight Omaha Steaks burgers for free with your order. We've all heard the reports about shortages and shipping delays, so don't wait. Order the perfect gift package today at omahasteaks.com and you'll get eight free burgers when entering the code COLLEGE. Achieve gifting greatness with Omaha Steaks. Incredible flavor, incredible value, and 100% guaranteed. omahasteaks.com keyword college. All right, welcome back. Segment three, still Andy Patton, still here with Stephen Carr. Uh, We're going to try to flush the last couple of games. I know they've been frustrating for Gonzaga fans to watch, but we got a lot of basketball left this season. Of course, Mary Mack coming up later this week, and UW potentially... On Sunday, they are having some COVID issues right now, but we are assuming as of now that that game is going to be played. Uh, So those are not going to be the most difficult games, uh, hopefully, for the Zags. Uh, You should knock on wood in that regard. But we've kind of touched on some of this stuff already, Stephen. But are there things that you're hoping specifically to see the staff or the team, specific players, do do a little differently to kind of make you feel a little bit better about where this team's going direction-wise?
2: Well, I think they're gonna get a great challenge with Texas Tech in terms of turnovers Mm because Texas Tech's defense is top five in the country in turnover percentage. So if they don't score turnover issues before that Texas Tech game, you know, things could, you know, be dicey down the stretch in that one as well. Mm -hmm. Texas Tech also has the number one offensive rebounding percentage in the country. Mm -hmm. So they're a team that forces a ton of turnovers and grabs a ton of offensive rebounds, which essentially means a ton of extra possessions. Mm -hmm. So that's gonna be um, you know, what, maybe a little bit of a different challenge for Gonzaga. I don't know if they've faced a team that's that elite, mm-hmm. um, especially on the offensive glass. I mean, Duke normally is really good on the offensive glass. They're not so far this season. Alabama was actually pretty good, but Gonzaga mm-hmm. actually outrebounded. That game. Um, Gonzaga's rebounding this season has actually been fairly good. Mm-hmm. I think you would ex- expect that with a seven-one guy. Um,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: but Ju- Julian Strawther yeah. has been unbelievable rebounding the basketball and mark few has pointed that out a bunch is just how how much he's improved rebounding the ball and, and they've really really need that so um i think hunting is going to be a challenge in that texas tech game and then obviously a team that forces a ton of turnovers uh going against a gonzaga team that has struggled with turnovers the last couple nights or the last couple games i should say
1: mm-hmm.
2: um that's definitely going to be a, a challenge so I, more than anything else it's the turnovers and then finding some sort of flow on offense um that includes some aggressiveness from their guards. I think that's what I'm looking for more than anything else is from the offensive end. How do they get back to, um, you know, getting
0: more production, more aggressiveness out of their backcourt. Absolutely. That's the number one thing for me too, is if we see the guards coming off pick and rolls or running actions where they're not really looking to take their shots, it it just feels like that's something that the staff needs to address directly. I think I mentioned on Monday's episode, like, either they were given the direction to always look for drew Timmy and not look for their own shots, in which case that should have been adjusted by the staff or the players themselves were, I mean, maybe there's a confidence issue, who knows, or maybe it was just, they felt like the best play was to always get drew the ball in which case they need to be kind of re- reminded that they should look for their own shots too. And I'm hoping that uh, as we see, you know, these next couple games coming up, that we'll see those guys start to look because you mentioned it earlier in the show, the Gonzaga's best performance all season long, without a shadow of a doubt, was against UCLA. And it, it, you, like you said, it's not a coincidence that that was the game that Andrew Nembhard, not only was he good statistically, but he was he was forcing the defense to, to respect him. He was going to the basket. He was taking outside shots. And I know his outside shot has not fallen lately, but it, he needs to be able to to take when he has good looks, he needs to be able to take those shots. And even if he's not knocking him down, you know, 40% of the time, which he's not going to do, if he's knocking him down enough, that creates more pressure on the defense in ways that we just it didn't seem like Alabama's defense was ever unsettled in, in that game. And, and that, that was a huge problem to me.
2: Yeah. And I will say just one last thing on this is mm-hmm. Gonzaga still leads the country in 2.00 percentage, just mm-hmm. like they did last year. And they yep. lead the country. By over 3%. <laughs> so, like, obviously, part of that is check because he's shooting like 5% at the rim or something like that. But, mm-hmm. like, when the guards get there, it's not like they're poor finishers. Right. Straw, they're shooting 56% inside the yard. Andrew <laughs> Nemart, 58%. Roger Bolton, 53%. Nolan Hickman, 80%. It's like <laughs> these guys are obviously good finishers. Right. They just, they just need to get to the rim a mm-hmm. little bit more. So, whether it's mm-hmm. finding actions where they can actually get there more, better spacing, uh, a mindset where they're more aggressive, whatever it happens to be. Um, by the time February and March rolls around, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully they have that shored up and, and they've got to, you know, kind of all systems go.
0: Absolutely. Well, they're getting into the WCC play and most, most fans, uh, non-Gonzaga fans, college basketball fans, kind of think of this as the time where Gonzaga rolls through. a a significant amount of easy victories for the next two months. But uh, the WCC's (laughs) trying trying their best to curb that reputation. Obviously, BYU and St. Mary's have been good for a while, but both those programs are are looking uh, outside of the loss that BYU suffered to Utah Valley. They've been looking really, really solid. And, of course, San Francisco has been one of the surprise teams of the country. I'm curious your impression of the conference in general. And, of course, the question that has been continually asked throughout Gonzaga Twitter is, how many of these teams are going to make the NCAA tournament?
2: Uh, my guess is three.
1: Mm-hmm. I
2: think something something wild would have to happen, I think, for them yeah. to get four. I think the most realistic scenario to get four um, is San Francisco probably winning the WCC yep. tournament. Mm-hmm. Or... All of these basically bottom-half teams Mm. lose basically every single game to the top-half. So if you really want to root for four WCC teams, root for Gonzaga, BYU, San Francisco, and St. Mary's Mm -hmm. to just go undefeated against Portland, Pepperdine, San Diego, Pacific.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, And they probably have to split uh, wins with each other, too. Like San Francisco can't get swept by everybody else either. (laughs) It's challenging.
2: The one thing I'll say is um, I, I don't know... If St. Mary's and BYU can necessarily um, challenge Gonzaga because they don't know if their offense is explosive enough, mm-hmm. I think their most difficult challenge within the WCC this year is going to be San Francisco mm-hmm. because they have arguably outside of Gonzaga the best guard line in the league. Mm -hmm. Actually, I don't even know if it's arguable. I'm pretty sure (laughs) that's a fact. (laughs) I will take San Francisco's guard line over any other um, team in the WCC Mm -hmm. uh, outside of Gonzaga. And they've got size this year. Patrick Tape came over from Duke after not really playing much over there. Yawn Masalski 6'9", 6'10". Been around in the conference forever. Used to play for San Diego. Like They've got size. Vladimir Mm -hmm. uh, Mark... Oh, God, how the hell do you say his name? (laughs) Mark Markovetsky, something mm-hmm,
1: like that. Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: he's seven too. Like, they've got legitimate size to mm-hmm. go with their guards. And in the past, their guards have been really, really good, but they haven't necessarily had the size to match up with Gonzaga. So they've had to do some kind of funky stuff defensively. Mm-hmm. This year, they've got the size to match Gonzaga, mm-hmm. and they've got the guards. So I, I really do think that San Francisco is going to give Gonzaga their best challenges in terms of individual games whether or not san francisco finishes second in the wcc i don't know
1: mm-hmm.
2: um but they're playing really really well and i like their roster construction they the league itself started really well mm. and over the last two weeks has struggled yep. for various reasons mm-hmm. um santa clara was six and zero, and then lost three straight games because jason Brankich has been out with mono yep so they really really need him to come back um saint mary's i mean they're <laughs> there's saint mary's the, the difference is you know you know they're not going to score a ton you know that the, mm-hmm. the possessions are going to be limited the difference is this year saint mary's team is unbelievably good defensively which mm-hmm. they built off of last year because last year was actually top 20 nationally as well in the defensive end mm-hmm. um there's they're still struggling a little bit on the offense then better mm-hmm. than they were last year but still struggling uh, a little bit on that end, then BYU's already got two injuries that they're dealing with. Gavin Baxter is going to be out for the year again, and then um, again, which just sucks for <laughs> yeah, that kid. I, know. Three, I mean, three straight years—it's awful. Yeah. But then uh, Richard Harward, who was their original starting center, hasn't mm. come back since the first game of the season because he's had some cardiovascular issues. So, mm. um, and outside of Alex Barcelo, they do not have any. Uh, really reliable three-point shooters that they mm-hmm. found quite yet. So mm-hmm. um, their offense is is a work in progress, just like Saint Barry's offense is a work in progress, just like Gonzaga's offense <laughs> is a work in progress. So it'll be an interesting WCC season for sure. It's it's fun to see that four teams going into conference play at least have a shot of getting yep. into the tournament. So it will be fun to watch throughout the year.
0: It's hard to imagine the the committee picking three at-large teams from the WCC. Unfortunately, I agree with you in that regard, but it's also hard for me to imagine that some of the lower tier Power 5 schools that will end up making the NCAA tournament are definitively better than either St. Mary's or San Francisco, because we assume one of those two teams probably will not make it. Hopefully we're wrong, but if one of them doesn't make it, I have a hard time imagining that the you know seventh, sixth or seventh best team in Whatever Power Five conference uh, is better than them, but such is life of a mid-major program, unfortunately, but it is fantastic to see those schools at least being more consistently, you know, noticed. I think that the fact that the last two weeks haven't gone great for the WCC is, is a bummer, but they're clearly on the right path. Absolutely, Stephen. Thank you so much for taking the time to to come on the show to talk about Gonzaga's uh, woes from the last couple of weeks. Help uh, calm some people down, I'm sure. I think you, you said it well. The two and two in these four games is not a terrible result. It just happened in a way that makes it a little bit scarier for the for the fans. But uh, yeah, I really appreciate you coming on. I'm looking forward to to talking to you more throughout the season.
2: You got it, my friend. Happy holidays.
0: All right, that is going to do it for today. Thanks again to Steven for joining the show. We are going to have an overview of the WCC for WCC Wednesday. And, of course, Andy Locke's on Thursday this week. And then a potentially a preview of Washington, depending on their whole situation. All right here on the Locked On Zags podcast, which, again, thank you for making this your first listen of the day. Now is a great time to make your second listen of the day, the Locked On Bets podcast. Locked on Bets is your daily one-stop shop for all of your sports gambling needs. Locked on Bets is hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags.